1: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is a Bramble Jam podcast. It's 1983
2: and Dolly is in flux. Why? There's a lot of rumors swirling around. And you know what they say about rumors. Shut up and stop spreading them. My name is Justin Kirkland and this is my year with Dolly. Welcome back to My Year with Dolly. As always, my name is Justin Kirkland. I'm a writer who lives in Brooklyn, grew up in East Tennessee, and now I'm streaming directly into your ear to talk about Dolly Parton. Growing up in East Tennessee, she was regarded as our patron saint, and I've embarked on this journey because I want to tell people about this woman who has shaped so much of my life. But in turn, I wanted to learn even more about her. And here we are. If you're just joining us, we started this year-by-year journey, episode-by-episode in 1967, but now we ventured all the way to 1983. For big Dolly fans, you know 1983 as the year that she recorded and released her first song with Kenny Rogers. It's this little unknown track called Islands in the Stream. Just kidding, it was massive. But 1983 was so complicated for Dolly because she was having a difficult time personally, an incredible time professionally, And when you mix those two together, that's not particularly easy on a person. But even with all that going on, rest assured that any retreat that she took from the spotlight meant that she was focusing on something bigger for the future. This turning point in the 80s is a period where Dolly is becoming more self-aware and thoughtful than ever. She's also plotting out a decade that would spell more major business decisions on her end. But when it comes to how Dolly sees herself... I found this quote from a British talk show she stopped on in 83. I wanted to share it with you because we're doing this thing where we talk about quotes before we get started. You know the gist. Women do not resent me because they can look at their boyfriend or husband and say, oh, you don't know. She may be completely bald under that wig. I think the fact that I've had enough nerve to do some of the things that I've done or look some of the ways that I've looked or wear some of the things I've worn I think, in some ways, it gives women the chance to say, "If I had the nerve, I would do that." To give you a quick rundown, as always, we have four parts: a year in review, a deep dive, an album review, and typically some parting words from someone whose life has been affected by Dolly. We'll get to that a little bit later. Those are the ground rules. Other than that, keep your hands and feet inside the roller coaster car. Be nice, and let's roll. The year is 1983. This is your year in review. There isn't actually a ton that's happening in 1983 for Dolly. After last episode, that's probably not too much of a surprise. At this point, Dolly is starting to scale back a bit after starring in two major motion pictures in back-to-back years. And the truth of the matter is that our girl was exhausted. And she was going through this deeply personal time where she had a storied history of not taking great care of herself. She didn't want to reveal that to the public, so the public had a lot of questions about what was going on. She only had one album in 1983 called Burlap and Satin, and from it she only released one single called Potential New Boyfriend, and the song is sexy as hell. It also came out on my birthday, but seven years before I was born, so I like to believe that Dolly anticipated something before it ever happened. Either way, it was a strange time for Dolly because as fun as the song is and as flashy as the album looks, it sounds nothing like Dolly. It's actually not really that great of an album at all. There's this feeling that this woman releasing music in 1983 had taken a strange detour from the track she's on, and it just, it has, like, all these bells and, um... I almost said bells and wizards, which is not <laughs> um the phrase at all, so I don't really know what I was saying. Bells and whistles, that's it. It's, um... I don't know, it just, it doesn't sound like her. It's 80s-infused, its it's really weird, and it's not even close to the pop music that people were scratching their head about when she released songs like Here You Come Again. Her sound had taken this more electric, weird tone that I don't think anybody was really anticipating. She had little moments that felt authentically Dolly, like there's this one song called Appalachian Memories, but so much of her early 80s work felt like what happens when Dolly Glitz meets 80s Glitz, and that's a lot of glitz to take in. All glitz considered, even in a down year for Dolly, she released one of the biggest songs of her entire career, Islands in the Stream with Kenny Rogers. The song was a massive success on the country and pop charts and is frequently referred to as one of the best duets of all time. The song, initially meant to be recorded by the Bee Gees, no less, came to be after Dolly was suggested as a duet partner for Kenny Rogers the rest is history. In 1983, Dolly also filmed a well-known concert at the Dominion Theatre in London, which was aired on HBO. But of all of Dolly's tidbit fun facts from 1983, I wanted to drop this one in for you. It was in 1983 that Dolly made one of her first mentions of creating Dollywood. Talking to Terry Wogan on a UK late night show. Though it didn't exactly end up being the place she envisioned it to be. She imagined it would have canoeing and horseback riding and camping, she did set off to create this giant empire that is the crown jewel of Sevier County. No one tell Aubrey I said that. But in terms of what really stood out to me in Dolly's 1983, it was the bubbling that happened under all these accomplishments and hurdles. It was the rumors. But more on that in a minute. Before we get into it, we're going to take a quick break, so go grab yourself a drink or something. You've earned it. We'll be back in just a second. Initially, I wanted to do the focus of this episode on Kenny Rogers and Dolly, particularly islands in the stream, and trust... You can't do an episode about 1983 without talking about Kenny and Dolly, but if you saw a few weeks back with Kenny Rogers' passing, there's a mini-episode where we dedicated a few minutes to the story of how the two of them met. We referenced a story that was in the boot, and while we could have done a deeper dive into that, I found that Dolly Parton was facing something bigger than her new friendship in 1983. It was something that kind of actually encompassed it. As she was rising to these insane superstar heights and falling to new personal lows, the world was throwing all kinds of horse crap at her. Dolly's career has been rife with rumors. She was always kind of a tabloid queen in that way. She was a lesbian, and she had tattoo sleeves, and she was actually just always wearing a giant blonde wig to hide her dark brown hair underneath. It's it's nuts. Like... When you consider the bluntness of those rumors, they're nothing in comparison to these deep, deep cuts that people took at Dolly in 1983. You know, giant egregious rumors are one thing, because they can easily be disproven. But when you go into somebody's personal life and you cut it open, there's something a bit more damaging about that. The year started with the cancellation of a couple shows in January. She received death threats, which we talked about last week a bit. Ahead of a couple of shows in Kentucky, and as if the threats weren't enough, people started to read into these cancellations that she was doing, and asking what all of it could mean. Was she spiraling, or was there something she wasn't revealing to people? It also didn't help that immediately after the cancellations, she disbanded her concert band after years together. People accused Dolly of firing the 11-member group, and that just wasn't true either. All these accusations started coming out that Dolly would never tour again and that the firing of her band was particularly egregious. Essentially, people always wanted to demonize Dolly's moves. It's like a bit of deja vu that harkens back to when she let her traveling family band go in the 70s to adapt and move away from the dramatics of mixing family and business. And here it was happening again with the next iteration of her band, and it seemed that no matter what she did, every business move was going to be scrutinized, and there had to be a reason behind it. On the record, back in 1983, Dolly told the United Press International, "'This new arrangement has nothing whatsoever to do with the recent threat on my life. It's just a coincidence of timing. I'm real sorry that there is someone out there who could make such threats.'" Physically, I've never felt better in my whole life, and I'm really excited about all the new different projects that are coming up. But things were difficult on the inside. It also didn't help that the departure of her band coincided with Greg Perry, her band leader, leaving the band on his own volition. As we said last episode, Dolly once revealed that she had a, quote, affair of the heart. And some sleuths have alleged that was potentially with Greg Perry. Others who like a juicier story say it was with her best friend and assistant, Judy Ogle. Neither of those were ever proven to be true, but it provided great fodder for people and tabloids. The major breakout of Dolly's 1983, as we said before, was Islands in the Stream. But that also opened up a whole new book of romantic accusations people would make about Kenny Rogers and Dolly's relationship. For what it's worth, Kenny was married five times throughout his career. So, you know, there's enough to be said there. And the two said that they had incredible chemistry. But when it comes down to it, the two describe their relationship as more of a brother and sister connection, less of a romantic one. Still, even in interviews as recent as the past couple years. Process that. Like, 2015-ish. People have asked Dolly and Kenny if they'd ever considered dating, as if, you know, Dolly hasn't been married to her husband for what, I think it's, I think it's coming up on... Fifty years? So little bananas. In a retrospective look, you can see all the potential boulevards that Dolly could have gone down. Her early eighties were plagued with criticism and rumor, and the result, after nineteen eighty four's rhinestone, is that Dolly kind of ducks out of the spotlight for a bit. One side of that could imply that it's a genius move. It takes her out of the conversation when everybody wants to talk about her and Nobody wants anything more than what they can't have. But on a personal level, what cost was included in that? How much did she have to endure behind the scenes? For this week's album review, it's all about the album, All I Can Do. I'm not even sure how to start with this album because it's such a strange surprise to me. I try not to look at reviews until I've listened to the album because I don't like being skewed one way or the other. But then I broke the rule about Three Songs Deep because I needed to confirm whether I was just in an exceptionally good mood because All I Can Do is one of the strongest collections I've ever heard from Dolly. Finding that there's so much to learn while recording this podcast has been a blast because you find all these new songs. All I Can Do starts at a 10 and keeps it there all the way through. Dolly's delicate vocals are strangely more powerful than ever before, and she's backed by a whole crew of backup singers and harmonica. The beat is fast, the percussion is heavy, and there's even a strange twinge of hillbilly rock that's kind of nestled in there. All I Can Do is probably the most recognizable song off the album, and it's probably the one that lends itself closest to a pop crossover head. But I had this moment where I got to the album's fourth song called I'm a drifter, and I thought, okay, this is where it's got to calm down. And I couldn't have been more wrong. If there's a single song you have to listen to from the album, it's this one, because it's just the absolute best of Dolly Parton. 1976 was such a precursor because the album that follows is the first one that Dolly produced herself, and then we get into this incredible Dolly Pop era. A lot of people talk about that album called New Harvest vs. Gathering. We'll talk about it next week. But I actually think that the first album that really kicked off Dolly Superstardom, in retrospect, is probably all I can do. I'd put money on that. For this week's Part in Words, I contacted a friend and Dolly Fiend... Matt Polidoro, who works on The Daily Show. We met when I moved to Brooklyn, but one of the interesting things that I wanted his perspective on is that he really didn't get into Dolly until her bluegrass years. So I wanted to hear his perspective, because he went from 0 to 100, and now I routinely get schooled by him on all kinds of information that I didn't know about, because Matt is just one of those deep cut people. So, I wanted to have him on to talk about the couple times that he met Dolly and what his favorite song is. Okay, Matt, thank you so much for um, joining us and telling your story. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and then I want to hear the story that you
3: have for us? My name is Matt Polidoro. I live in Brooklyn. Uh, I know just oh, I know you through brooklyn. um i I work at The Daily Show. I'm a segment producer there. And, yeah, that's what I do.
2: You've kind of low-key schooled me a couple of times on Dolly information, because I thought before I met you that I knew just about everything, and then you regularly just kind of give me tidbits I had no idea about.
3: I'm not trying to school anyone. I'm just trying to share the knowledge, I guess, or, you know. <laughs> I'm not a know-it-all. I don't I don't purport to be a Dolly uh, know-it-all. So I learn myself, so...
2: So I got to hear about this um, story that you teased me with, but I don't exactly know what the story is.
3: Well, the story I always tell is I was fortunate enough to meet Dolly Parton a couple of times uh, through work. As I mentioned, I work at The Daily Show, and Dolly was a guest a couple of times. Um, The first time was 2005. She was on to promote her Those Were the Days album, which is her covers album of 60 songs. I met her. I got my picture with her. I was so nervous. I was, I was 24. I was dumb. I cropped my hair recently. It was just growing back in. I was wearing like a like a crappy outfit from Urban Outfitter, like an old pair of jeans and t shirt. I did not look cute. So I have this picture with Ally Parton, which is amazing. But I don't love the way I look. Uh, it wasn't at my best or my cutest. So I. she came back on the show in 2012. Uh, that was to promote the Joyful Noise movie, which I expect a full deep dive episode on 2012's Joyful Noise, Justin. <laughs> I look forward to that. Um, so she came on to promote Joyful Noise, and I thought, this is my chance to redo that photo and make sure I'm wearing a better outfit, make sure my, my hair is all did nice. Um, so I, uh, this is you know, 2012, so I, I had just gotten an iPhone but I still had like a digital camera which was better, would have given a better quality photo. So I don't use it that often but I made sure the night before, I made sure that the battery was charged. That morning, before I went to work, I checked the battery, all charged up, good to go, threw the camera in my bag. Went to work. At the end of the day, the, the, we taped the show at the end of the day, and that's when the, the guest arrives around like 5.30, um, 5.36, whatever. I got a call from our you know, my, our talent producer, my colleague. She said, you know, Dolly's here. She's in her green room. Come on down, and when Dolly's ready, she'll come out, and you, know, you guys can do your photo again. So I grab my camera, go down to the green room, turn it on, and I find out that the battery is dead. What happened was I never turned it off in the morning when i checked so my so my camera was dead I'm, a, I'm like moments away from from my like big photo redo and meeting dolly again and i have a dead camera i figure like I, I, if i can charge it for a few minutes i'll get enough juice for one photo so i like quickly charge my battery desperate to just get as much juice as i can in like the few minutes i have so then I get the call that Dolly's ready. So I take the battery out. I, you know, I throw it back in my phone. I hand it to my, uh, my colleague who was going to take our photo. And, you know, we sit, we situate ourselves and, you know, my, my, my coworker has the camera and she counts down on three to take the photo. She goes one, two, on three, the camera shuts down. There still wasn't enough juice in the battery. So my camera just, you know, the, the, the lens kind of, it, it, it just goes back into the camera and it, it turns off. And <laughs> I, I
2: just imagine this. Oh like, my God. Yeah, it
3: totally like shut power. You know, the you know how when they used to like power down, like the, the lens would go back in and, <laughs> it just, and it shuts off. I nearly died. I it was just devastating to me. And everyone was who was there I was like, Oh you know, there I was so pissed, but then, you know, because Time is of the essence, and I didn't even think to take my iPhone out because I had just gotten it. I didn't think my my uh, coworker knew how to use it, and also she is a Blackberry girl, or she was. This is 2012. But you know, before we could, before I knew it, my my coworker was like, "I got it, I got it." She took her Blackberry out, and and she took the photo with her Blackberry. So I have a, <laughs> I have a photo of me and Dolly. That's. You know, it's a BlackBerry photo, so it's a little grainy. It's not high res, but I, we looked better. I look better. But it's just it always disappointed me because I look at that photo and I remember how my good camera died and I had to use this shitty, sorry, I had to use this crappy BlackBerry. But it took me a while to, to kind of appreciate what had happened. So this is a story, sorry. This is a that's the long setup. My story is <laughs> every, everyone, everyone, everyone um, kind of uh, admires Dolly. You know, they they praise Dolly's humor and.
1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
3: No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All the quips before, right? Like we've heard all the lines about taking a lot to look this cheap. And I think Dolly's got a very good sense of humor, but I always assumed it was just, she's just good at retelling the same jokes, you know? yeah. No, no shade. Just that you hear some of the same lines over and over and- The true fans are kind of used to it. So um, I never really fully appreciated her sense of humor until that day. And this is what I always took for granted until I kind of – I made myself appreciate it. So going back to that moment where my camera dies, I was just crushed, and I couldn't even think straight. But at that moment, without missing a beat, as soon as the camera died, Dolly goes, well, that ain't the first time I drained a man's battery before. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought at the time I just kind of like, I was, I didn't react because I was just too crushed. But I think over the years it made me realize that I had this great Dolly story because she was, it just shows her natural comedic abilities. That's not some canned line that she uses over and over. Like some of her other ones, you know, she was, that's just like her sense of humor shining through and I got to experience that and witness it. And I feel like now I think that story is a little bit of a blessing because I don't know. I have this like funny Dolly quip to tell people that it's not something they've heard a zillion times on stage. You know, she just seems really, really whip smart, just like really fast
2: to be able to pick up on stuff.
3: I always knew her as, um, you know, Dolly, the persona. I didn't really know her music that well. I knew, I knew her Christmas album with Kenny Rogers because my parents, played that every Christmas when it came out. They only listen to Christmas music around the house. So it was only like one month, one month out of the year where we played music. Everyone has stories about how the parents had cool tastes in music. And my parents love them, but they only really played Christmas music. Um, so I never inherited any like cool record collections or anything. It's like, they just played Christmas albums, but their favorite was the Kenny and Dolly one. So I, I, that was like the soundtrack to all my Christmases growing up. So I knew her from that and from like steel magnolias and I knew like the big hair, the big boobs. I kind of knew her as this like, um, very, uh, camp persona, but I just like, I didn't really know the music and her career. Uh, it kind of wasn't until living in New York and I was, you know, out as a gay man and i would i would see other gay guys kind of uh wearing dolly shirts or kind of embracing her as this icon that i didn't realize that she was one i didn't fully appreciate the uh, you know her status as a gay icon so i kind of started delving into her music and that was when the bluegrass albums were coming out so it really clicked when i saw that not only was she fun and camp um uh you know and and she had just like great look about her, but she also has beautiful music. And I think that's when it all clicked. Like she's the full package, you know, she can, she's a beautiful songwriter and she's a clown, you know, with like, with her, her, her look, her exaggerated looks and everything. So, yeah, I was, um, you know, I haven't been, I have not been a lifelong fan, but I was a instant, instant fan around the time of those bluegrass albums.
2: With that expanded knowledge base, what would you say is your favorite Dolly song? Uh,
3: So the reason I gave you that little backstory is because whenever I'm asked, I can't, I always go back to, um, you know, there's, there's some songs I love. Like I love baby. I'm burning for the, for the camp disco value. I love traveling through. uh, I love "Smoky mountain memories or Appalachian memories since we're in 1983. Um, but I I always go back to the grass is blue. Yes, I, I think that, and that's why I gave you the whole backstory. Like that's when I first kind of, um, really got into Dolly. Is during those bluegrass albums. I think the grass is blue was just the probably the strongest one, and I think that song. You know, Dolly's great at sad songs. Uh, she's great at sad songs And that song I think is just her most poetic So yeah. it's really lovely I always, I just always go back to it Well Matt Thank you so
2: much For yeah. your story um, I'm sorry that You've ever had <laughs> I'm sorry that you've ever had your picture taken With a Blackberry
3: um, I know <laughs> I know the first picture is so crystal clear. I just hate my hair and my outfit. Uh the second picture is grainy. Look, I'm looking cute. But um I have this great story now to go along with that picture. At least great for me. It's my little it's my little dolly nugget that I that I get to tell. And with that, we are at the end
2: of 1983. I know that it's a dark period, but there is light of a clear blue morning in the horizon. A big thank you to Bramble Jam, the network that hosts this gigantic project about Dolly Parton. A shout out to the Petersons who allow us to use their beautiful music to open and end each show. And of course, the biggest thank you of all is to Dolly Parton. You guys know the gist. I say this every week. Without you, we'd have none of this to talk about. Please don't forget to go like, subscribe, review, share, take out money for a billboard. That'd be great. Anything that you can do to um, spread the word about My Year with Dolly. And meet us back here next week. We're talking about a bananas movie called Rhinestone. And I, I have some thoughts. From my Brooklyn mountain home to yours, I hope that you have a wonderful week. My
0: Year with Dolly is hosted by Justin Kirkland and produced by Justin Kirkland and Brandon Gray. It's a part of the Bramble Jam Podcast Network. For more shows a part of the Bramble Jam Podcast Network, check out BrambleJamPodcast.com. To contact Justin with your Dolly story, email MyYearWithDolly at gmail.com.